Hey, welcome to Father in Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. I put a big emphasis on communication because I believe that when we are transparent and vulnerable with our children and communicate with them, and we listen to them as they reciprocate that back to us, that we build trust. And trust is the foundation for relationships. So if you don't have communication, then you're not going to have relationships. And I think all of us as fathers know that it's a great thing to have a relationship with our children. So I want to share an interview that I did with Lenore Edwards, who is a speech-language pathologist, and she works with just about anyone and everyone on the age spectrum. So she's going to share some things that will help you with your little ones. We personally had some issues with our firstborn. We had a couple of scares, but we worked with an SLP, and now my boy won't shut up, and we're loving it. But she's also going to give a little bit of insight and advice to you as a father and things that you can do to develop your communication skills that are going to benefit your children as well. So check it out. Well, Lenore, thank you so much for being with me. I'm happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. I'm so glad to be here with you and to talk more about all things related to speech and communication. Yeah, speech and communication are a big deal, and I've really tried to hammer that home with fathers as a fundamental that we need to work on. Now, as a speech pathologist, first, let me go ahead and do this. I know that we have Google, and I know that we can look this up, but (laughs) as someone who claims this profession, can you tell us what a speech pathologist is and does? Absolutely. So as a speech-language pathologist, you might often hear people say, oh, you're a speech therapist. Oh, how's my speech? Am I clear enough? And I often like to tell people as a speech-language pathologist, we do work on that, on that intelligibility component, but truly we work from the neck and up. We see little ones for feeding. We see individuals for post-traumatic accidents, for developmental delays, for speech intelligibility, language and communication. But we also work with adults in cognitive disorders, such as if they're experiencing memory loss or COVID brain fog, Parkinson's strokes. So we also see them from the very, very beginning. I have experience in the NICU, and I've also worked with geriatrics in skilled nursing facilities, so all the way to the end. So Gotcha. Very fun. Range. Yeah, it's quite the range, because my understanding is that it's predominantly with children, and we'll jump into that a little bit later, but my son required a speech-language pathologist, so... That's been my only connection to that occupation. Just out of curiosity, since you brought it up and I struggled with it. So I had COVID. I got the Delta variant and the brain fog was was a real thing. And that was probably the scariest thing for me. Now, I did have weird hair loss that was associated with that, but I'm still okay. Mm-hmm. Um but is that is that still a thing? Are people still struggling with the brain fog from COVID? Some people do experience it, and some people also don't realize that they're experiencing it. And they just kind of mm. take it as rolling with the punches or, you know, just pandemic stress and things like that. And then when you start to point out, are you having difficulty with X, Y, and Z? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and it kind of starts to light up a little bit more for them, showing them that component. And it can be anywhere as losing your attention and you don't have the attention that you used to have, but it could also be quite literally forgetting complete bits of information that you knew at one point without any difficulty. So it's quite quite wide. Yeah, it was very frustrating for me personally when I just couldn't remember a particular word. I could remember the very definition of the word, but I could not actually formulate what the word was. And for me, I don't speak all the time, but I speak enough for that to be really frustrating and um, finally got past it. I just was more determined that I was going to hammer my way through it. So I started to try to do other little things that could just kind of provoke my mind, I guess. I played a lot of Sudoku. I played a lot Mm -hmm. of Sudoku to just try to keep everything going pretty well. So I got really good at that, freakishly good, but we're not going to talk about my Sudoku expertise. Um, But yes, I was very interested in having you on to the podcast because, again, I've been putting a focus on communication and communication is kind of a two-way streak. And so having our children be able to speak to us and communicate with us is a very important thing. And like I mentioned, my son, when we had him, our firstborn, he did not, let me say this, he started to say the mama and the dada Prior to being 12 months, after 12 months, it just all shut down. 
and he didn't really speak until he was probably 27 months. So we did bring in a speech language pathologist to work and ultimately what it was, it turned out to be, he just couldn't hear very well. Now we had hearing tests and he passed all of the hearing tests, but as they inspected a little bit further, the tonsils, the adenoids were kind of getting in the way of everything. And as soon as all that was removed within three weeks, he was a totally different kid. But as a first time parent experiencing that, it can be a little frightening because you just don't know. You don't really know what's going on with your kid and you assume that everything's okay. But I remember personally, my wife saying she was concerned that our son maybe was autistic or somewhere on the spectrum. Now, I had made up in my mind that if that was the case, I would be the best dad that I could with a son who has autism and tried to work with him on his level. But I was really hopeful that that was not the case selfishly. Mm-hmm. That's just what I was praying about and hoping for. Uh, and it turned out to not be the case. But I think what would be really helpful is to talk about those early stages with parents, with fathers who have these young kids and they have these initial concerns. Let's start here. Is there is there a particular age that parents should start to be concerned if their kid is not speaking or communicating in some form or fashion? Absolutely. So this is, I, we'll start at the very beginning for that question. When little ones are, on, you, you, the happy couple finds out or the person finds out that they're pregnant, great. And the first thing I tell them is keep talking because in the womb, they are hearing information. They're developing, they're growing, but they're also hearing language. Now we are wired as humans for the ability to understand language. Our brain is designed for that. So now that being said, there must be language input to occur for that connection, for those bridges to make sense, for that cohesiveness to occur. We come in as a completely blank slate. Children come in, they don't know the difference between mom, dad, any part of language. They come in completely blank, and it is up to us to teach them the rules of language. And the rules of language are so vast, which is why we say keep talking, because there's so much going on. And for as much as we know about mind and body development, there is still so much information that we don't know. So to keep talking, what's occurring at that point when you're talking to your little one, the day has arrived, they're there in your arms, they're already listening even more to you. They're understanding your voice. They're getting familiar with your tones. They're understanding language. And as that information is going in, that mind is starting to make sense of it to the best of their ability. Now, as they start to grow, little ones are actually communicating with us all the time. They're communicating through their coos and their cries and they start to learn, oh, when I cry like this, I get this. When I make this sound, they respond this way. That is them communicating. That is them engaging with you and intentional communication. That's a great thing. When they're looking at you and they're drawn to your face and they're watching you do these things and they're modeling you, you're making raspberries and kissy faces and they're making faces back at you. There's so much going on. They're watching you, they're listening, they're learning. And what we often encourage people to do is watch them, model them. If they stick out their tongue, you stick out their tongue. Have that back and forth because just in our natural conversation, we take turns, we have this back and forth. And it begins that early, that understanding begins that early on. And when your little one starts to make those intentional sounds. You'll hear them play with their their laughs and their vowels. That's them playing. They're learning that they have the ability to communicate and they're also watching to see who's responding when they're communicating. So that's a great thing. Now, these are all pre-linguistic skills when they're doing these other things of trying to get your attention and trying to engage with you. When they actually start to say their first words and we'll often hear, my child isn't talking yet. They're not talking yet. And we'll say, okay, well, let's look at that because their version of not talking is different than our version of not talking. Just like your version of not talking is also different from another person's. So clinically, when we start to hear those first words, what are they? Are they approximations? Most often, ma, 
dad, especially mm, when they've seen M on the lips a number of times. This is why mom typically occurs first. P, B, and M, those letters, or the M, P, and B sounds are the ones that are right on our lips. So when we're playing with our baby, they're watching our mouth and they're watching it move. And that's why they've also heard mmm 3,442 times while they're eating. So that's why M tends to be the first of the emerging sounds. Yes, da and dad are absolutely emerging at that component. But that's how it starts in those early years. So, so it's not really always notice. that mommy's the favorite. It's No, it's not just, always. <laughs> just remember that, no. dads. <laughs> not always. But that communication in those early years, in those early months, is them communicating and interacting. And that can absolutely be quite nerve-wracking when you don't know. You're like, okay, well, they were hearing me. Now they have loss of language. Especially when you start to Google something at 2 a.m., that's you're, you're going down a rabbit hole for sure because sure. you have so many different pieces of information coming in. You don't know what to look at, and that can be very, quite, quite truly, nerve-wracking as a parent or guardian of a child. Very human response. Absolutely. Can I ask you something? So you said this, so you've mentioned a couple of times, the keep talking aspect. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's different opinions on this theory, but I'm just curious how you feel about it. Uh, I know there's a lot of research that's been set forth about kids and their development and how they do in school as they grow up. And a lot of this being equated the debate seems to be whether it's a socioeconomic benefit or if it is the benefit of parents who just talked more with their kids, use, use more words, etc. Do you think that there is um, uh, merit and value to that as far as using more words and talking to your kids more and it not just being, well, you know, they were better off, they came from a better family economic wise? It, what do you think about that? I think as long as you're continuing to talk to your child, because ultimately you're engaging with them. It's the intention that you're setting forth when you're having that interaction. You could be ha you could be playing with a box or you could be having every toy in Toys R Us. But if you're not having that interaction, that emotional connection and that communication, it doesn't matter if you're playing with a box or toys or all, all of the toys in the world and their development. When it comes to language, to keep talking is a great thing and to offer exposure to language. So we often call it sports casting or narrating. I'm going to pick you up out of the crib and we're going to lay you down and I'm going to change your diaper. And you're basically telling them absolutely everything that you're doing with them, how you're doing it, why you're doing it, what you're thinking. And you're also giving them a voice and showing them that back and forth. That is key communication. Now, when you start to introduce books, which is a great thing, I had um, one parent tell me they had twins and by week two, she didn't know what to do. They were sleeping. So she sat there and read her book out loud. And that's a great thing. You're just offering language and offering that information to them. Two months old, sleeping in a crib, it, it's still language. It's still going in. The mind and body are still picking it up. And that's truly, truly important because mm. your two month old can't tell you oh, this, is, this means banana. They're not going to tell you that. Right. But it's information going in. The neurons are firing and wiring, and that's the difference. Okay, very good. That's, that's what I think. I think that that is the big case, and I'm happy to hear that from you, just for my mm -hmm. own self and for everybody else listening. Uh, good basic things. I, I, I love that you brought up the uh, sports casting, narrating thing. I mean, it's such a simple thing to do. I mean, it's very easy to say, well, I'm going to do this and how beneficial that actually is for your kid while you just do that, while you just narrate your actions to your child. I'm glad you brought that up. So Truly. let's say, okay, we're, you're doing those things. My wife and I were doing things like that. We're getting some interaction from my son. Things just kind of die off randomly. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a typical thing, if that's a normal thing. Um, but what are some red flags, I guess, that you look for in a child to where you might have some sort of an indication that they're struggling with speech and language? Absolutely. And that's a great thing. And one thing I want to add to that communication component to really, when you're talking with your children, talk face to face with them as mm. much as possible. 
And we have started to see this during the pandemic and the developmental delays that are occurring with children that started when this this pandemic began and everybody was covering their face. Everybody yeah. was covering up. And the reason it's so important is because as you're talking to me, you're looking me in the eyes in our culture. We look in our eyes when we're talking, but you, there's so much else going on. You're missing facial expressions. You're miss, missing brow furrowing and lip movements and gestures and body language that was very normal to us. And then once we started to cover up and not touch each other, it changed a world of people and their development. So it's truly important to really have that face-to-face -face interaction. Let yeah. your little ones put their hands on your face. Let them interact if, if you feel comfortable and to really allow them to explore what the face is doing. Yeah. And there's a variety of studies that'll say somewhere between 70 plus 90% of our communication is nonverbal, which means right. it's our gestures, it's our face, it's our tone. There's so much else going on other than the way I'm stringing my sentences together. Right. So it's truly important to keep with that face-to-face -face interaction. Um, signs of a delay that you had asked about. If you're having a one and a half year old and you're noticing that they're not babbling, they're not playing with their words, that they're not really making sounds, typically at one year, we'll hear one word vocabulary. So attempts at the word ball, attempts at the word bottle, attempts at the word mom. And they, those will be approximations. They're not going to come out crystal clear but they're going to come out in their best way of producing that word. And that's a great thing. They're trying to take a really hard word and make it functional for them. That's very normal. So what you want to do is really make sure that they are having this verbal interaction. And if not, what else is going on? So in the case of your little one, when they had words and then they lost words, that typically is something that we see in children who do present with autism is that there's this language development and then it stops. The fact that there is also, what other signs are they communicating? Are they making eye contact? Are they having joint attention and they're taking something and they're showing you and they're watching your expression and they're coming back and they're coming back to you and having this back and forth and this turn taking, are they playing with a ball and throwing it to you? Those are really, really strong interactions and we are wired to communicate. If we're not communicating, what else is going on and how can we encourage that communication. At one word, like I said, we'll hear one word vocabulary. At two years, we'll start to hear that combination of, instead of ju for juice, you might hear more juice. And that's their attempt at saying more juice or where daddy. And there it's their attempt. It, it might not be as crystal clear as that or like where dad. Yeah. It might be where's daddy. And they're aware that you're not in the room. They're aware of people coming in, people coming out, especially when it comes to sound and sound is so important because language is going in. If there's a blockage, that level of language is not, let's say that they had a number of ear infections. They're hearing you, but they're hearing you in a version of underwater. So they're getting half information. They're going to develop only what they hear. They don't know that they're missing information. So the fact that there was more detective work done for, for your little one is a great, great thing. So as far as that detective work is concerned, just for dads listening, what would you advise as the uh, proper route to go about investigating that? Should they deal first with a pediatrician who maybe then directs them to an ENT? Should they reach out first to someone like yourself who's a speech language pathologist? What's the right way to go about that? So for me... The if I, if I wake up at 2 a.m. with questions, and, and it happens to me, and I'm curious about my child's language development, what I am so proud about with the company that I work with for Better Speech, we offer a free 15-minute consultation to every person. So if you have concerns and you would like to speak with a board-certified speech-language pathologist, simply visit our website, betterspeech.com. We'll be there. Maybe not at cool. 2 a.m. The next business day yeah. is more <laughs> accurate. But still, especially if you're having concerns. So now let's say you have a two-year-old, you have concerns about your speech and language development. Okay, let me make a call to my pediatrician and let them know. They may write the order that says, okay, get evaluated by speech therapy. And you may actually be lucky enough that you're close to an outpatient clinic. And then you'll call the clinic and you may be on a six-month waiting list. That's a very long time to wait to get your questions answered. But it's also a very long time for that mind and body that's continuing to grow 
that may not have the input and the information that it needs to properly develop. So if you have concerns, I always encourage people, especially if you're thinking, hmm, something wrong. No, everybody else keeps telling me wrong, but I'm questioning it. Listen to your instincts. Listen to your paternal instincts. Listen to your maternal instincts. They are there for a reason. Trust yourself and reach out to professionals. And that way you can start doing the, the information of digging and that legwork. And yes, the internet is a phenomenal tool, but it is also one that you can get very lost down and it's much easier, much more effective and much more efficient to speak with a professional who then can offer you more guidance and more insight. And in a lot of cases for better speech, let's say you called and you had a consult and, and you were like, hey, I have questions. We'll go, great. We can set you up with a speech pathologist as early as tomorrow. Is that good? And you can then get treatment, whether you want it to be session by session or you want to just check and say, hey, can you just do, make me feel better? This is the worst case scenario. But can you evaluate my child? That's the worst case scenario. And that's yeah. a great thing to have access to that as early as the next day is phenomenal. And that yeah. is so using technology to our advantage. Yeah. And that's super comforting too. I want to echo what you said in regards to actually reaching out to a professional. Yeah, the internet is a great thing. And you did say that, but I know way too many people who just have one symptom and they go to WebMD or whatever it is. And they think that they have some rare disease that one in a billion happened to get. And it's not the case. If being a doctor was as easy as just Googling symptoms, I think we would have a lot more doctors, but there's a lot mm -hmm. of context. There's a lot of study that you had to go through so that you could actually piece all these different things together. Yeah, you might have a little guide that you refer to every once in a while, but you actually have the academic context to use when you look at that to make sense of everything. So, yes, I think we can do a lot of harm to ourselves by just trying to figure it all out on our own. So definitely want to echo the advice of reaching out to a professional. Uh, and that's really neat. Betterspeech.com. You can actually get the free consultation, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. That would be super comforting. I know that, for example, in our personal experience that we had with our son, Frankie, I mean, I remember being out at work, walking around the parking lot, just thinking, oh my word, my son might be autistic and I'm never going to get to do all these things that I thought I'd get to do with my boy. And I know that that's a reality for some, but mm -hmm. I put myself through a lot of worry for something that actually wasn't the case, but it's because mm -hmm. we attempted to try and figure all that out on our own early on. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's also a very human characteristic because we, so as humans, it's a fantastic feature about us, we are wired to anticipate the worst. Yeah. So if you think about us as cavemen, we came out of the cave and we weren't like, gee, what a great glorious day. We came out going, what's going to kill us today? Yeah. And because we are wired to sort that way, our brain also has the ability to chase after the worst case scenario. And whatever anybody's worst case scenario is, at the same time, you are human. And to not, to not beat yourself up about feeling X, Y, and Z about something it's how we process information and to it to have these understandings on a deeper level with ourselves and our thoughts and what else is going on. It's truly not a, a shameful thing or anything to be embarrassed about. There's True. so many things that we go through as humans and they're very human emotions to have and to, to honor and respect them and to, and to say, you know what? Yeah, I am human. Thank goodness. Yeah. I'm not an alien. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great perspective to add to that. Um, let me ask you this. I know that everyone's going to have a little bit of a different experience with this, but let's say that you go down the proper channel and you discover that you need to have um, intervention with a speech language pathologist. What is the average duration that a child typically spends with, do you go by S, uh, SLPs? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what, what is the, yeah, let me just make that easier on myself. So what's uh -huh. the, what's the average amount of time that children typically have to spend with an SLP um, once they start down that process? It truly depends on where they are. So let's say um, we have an eight-year-old boy and they're having difficulty producing their R sound. Mm. Where So the R sound is actually the hardest sound for 
it's the latest developing sound and it's because of the position and the strength that our tongue needs. Now we have one letter R, but we have over 30 magical combinations on how to produce this sound. Yeah. And it can be very difficult and very frustrating for them to at least try to improve upon on their own. So when we start to work with them, it may be super quick. It may be, wow, they picked it up. They got it right away. They practiced consistently. They were through through the R sound within four months. Or it may be that they didn't practice. They weren't really focused. They weren't completely engaged. And three years later, they're still working on it. Mm -hmm. And something just isn't quite adding up. Each person is truly different. And that's why we tailor our treatment plans to each individual. Okay. If you think about it at the R sound, we have one sound, but then we have to work that sound into conversational independent skill. So it's it's quite a step building process. Gotcha. Okay. But it's a process that's worth engaging in if you're actually having difficulty. If you see your kids having trouble with speech, I think that that's the only route to consider is to work with an SLP and work on communication because communication is so vital for everything that we do in life and it branches out into so many different areas of life. Now, I know that this will not put you out of work, but mm -hmm. what are some things that dads can do, maybe games or activities that we can do with our kids? Uh, now, I'm viewing this from kids at a younger age because my kids are all six and younger, but when you have young kids and they're developing speech, what are some things that we can do to help them maybe develop speech more efficiently, quicker, improve what they already have? But what are some ways that we can engage with them personally? I know you shared, you know, narrating what you're doing, having that face-to-face, -face, but um, I, I remember there was one thing that I had to do with my son that they recommended. It was just having uh, picture cards. And it was sometimes just pointing to different things and identifying them to make sure that cognitively he was there. But then it was, you know, do your best mm -hmm. to pronounce what you see on the card and just almost flashcard a routine with him. So mm -hmm. what are what are some things that dads can do with their kids to help improve their speech? That's a great question. So things that dads can do, especially when you have young children, they're so creative, they're so fun, and they so want your undivided attention. And it's truly a great thing. When you're with your little one, let's say, for for example, your six-year-old, he's probably got some pretty good language skills to begin with. Oh, yeah. So as you're talking with him, you're probably now past the point of narrating for him. You're now wanting a conversation with him. And the best thing to do, especially when you're, you're let's say he's on the floor and he's got his Legos, and the best thing to do is to be on his level and participate with him, especially when if you're if you're face to face or if you're next next to him when you're playing with him as he's talking to you what you can actually do to build more trust and build more connection is repeat pieces of his information so let's say he's got a lego batman and oh lego batman he's going to go up to the top of the roof top of the roof and as you said just that little echo right after him what he's actually hearing is his own language and he's also hearing Dad's listening. Dad's paying attention. And just that little bit, and you don't have to do it every single sentence, but as you're doing it, oh, he's at the top of the roof. And and say your son pauses, oh, what is he going to do at the top of the roof? You ask him a question. And when you ask a WH question, this is an open-ended question. Versus if you said, oh, is your name Frankie? He's going to tell you yes or no. It's only two options. When you ask a WH question, he's going to tell you, oh, maybe he does this. Or no, then he does this. He's going to have that imagination open up wide. And now he's going to think, oh, what should he do next? Where should he go? And as you're just asking him questions and playing with him, he's having this in deep engagement along with when you're repeating him, this very strong connection with you that you're having this memory, especially because, and I, I, oh, I want to say it's Maya Angelou who says this, but um, people will never remember what you said but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And when your intention is pure, when you're wanting to be there and you're engaging with them and you're having this, even if it's 15 minutes and you don't have the three hours that people would love to spend on the floor playing Legos, but you don't have the three hours, but it's not the quantity, it's the quality. And when right. you're in that moment, or even when you're going to have, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to make you lunch. What should we make for lunch? 
offering him that opportunity to speak about what he wants and answering, oh, you want peanut butter and jelly? Should we put other stuff with it and adding to it? That way you're progressing the conversation forward. And then also encourage him to ask you questions. When he asks you questions, he's having that back and forth with you and he's able to maintain the topic. So if you're talking about lunch, oh, what else would be cool with lunch? Oh, I think it would be cool with lunch. What do you think? And just having that back and forth, you're expanding that connection and that communication, also that language growth, but also you're having this really fun, happy memory, even though it's just a casual lunch on a Sunday and we're going to have lunch 442 times next week. Right. So if that's how it really starts and when you're in those moments or, hey, what book do you want to read? I think we should do this. What do you think? Asking him his opinion or asking children what they think is so important because we're often telling them where to go, what to do, when to do it, and how to behave. When we ask them what they want, they go, oh, I have power. I have right. choice. And they light up completely differently. And then when you're repeating them, oh, you want to you wanna read this book? Cool. Let's, let's sit down and read this book. They're going, oh, I matter. And it yeah. resonates so deeply within them. And that's what's most important, that they're seen, they're heard, and they're valued. I'm so glad to hear you say that because that's one of the things that I try to drive home with communication is communication is a two-way street. It's not just the fact that you have the ability to speak. It also, it, it's also that you have the ability to listen. And when you allow your child to have a voice in the conversation and you actually listen to them and you can repeat and regurgitate things that they have spoken to you, you're displaying this affection and this care that I hear you, you have a voice, it matters. And I'm actually, I'm actually valuing what you say because I remember it and I, I want to talk further about it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. But I think those are good things that you talked about, asking those WH questions that give them the opportunity to be creative and use their imagination, being on their level with them and existing in their world. And then that simple echo that you can do so mm-hmm. that they can hear themselves again. I think those are wonderful things. And honestly, I hear you talk about that. And I think this just sounds like being an intentional and a present father, that if you're just involved and engaged with your kids and trying to have that quality time, because again, it, like you said, it's quality, it's not quantity. Because the reality is, is as dads, most dads probably work a 40 hour a week job. And there's usually something that you have to do on the weekend. If you own a home, there's always projects that you're probably needing to work on. There's always something else that you have to do that's on that to-do list. And with all of those things compiled, you have limited time. And that time, I think, is the most valuable and precious commodity that we have to give as individuals. And much of that we need to try and give to the ones who matter most our wife, and our children. So making that time that we can give to them quality time to where we're actually focused and engaged. And even if it's 15 minutes, it's 15 minutes that will make a difference, 15 minutes that they will remember, 15 minutes that could have a much greater impact on them as they continue to grow um, as individuals. Yes, that's wonderful that you said that. I couldn't so, agree more with you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you said it first. It wasn't me. Um, let me ask you this, though, because I know that our kids like to look up to us. They watch us. They imitate. They mirror us in the things that they do. What are some things that we as dads can do to improve our own individual communication abilities? And I, I don't just mean having the gift of elocution or being able to speak mm-hmm. with braviloquence. It's not all about that, but just our ability to be able to communicate with other people, to build that trust that forms relationships. What are some things that we can do personally? Because our kids are going to watch us. And they're going to see the way that we speak to our wives. They're going to see the way that we speak to other relatives and other friends and other kids at some points. And they're going to glean from that. So what are some things that dads can do for themselves personally. I love that you said that because they are watching you all the time. All the time. And um, a really quick side note. So my my parents work different shifts. And every night, even my, my mom would work at night, but my dad would tuck us into bed. And he would 
books. And when we were really young, it was probably like 15 minutes where we'd read a book and we, and he would tuck us into bed and he had this really beautiful like nighttime prayer and nighttime thing. And he did that for so many years that when we go to sleep, these are the things that we remember. And at, over the years that then when we no longer read books, <laughs> you know, yeah. 12 years old, he would still come in and still go through his nightly routine. And it was just a very special two minutes. And it just mattered. Again, the quality of yeah. that time made a huge, huge difference. And now we have such a nice memory of that. Right. Um, so ways to improve your own communication abilities. So especially because your children are watching you all the time. And they will show you everything about yourself. And it's it's kind of scary when they start yeah. to have those mannerisms that you have or that your wife has. And you're like, really? And, and they're just showing you all different types of things. Um, it would I would go back to what is important for you and how do you know? So let's say it's important for you to not lose your temper. And how do you know? Well, well, when I lose my temper, I, I do X, Y, and Z. I'd rather not. And I know I'm going to lose my temper when this happens. So to, to have that honest look at it with yourself and say, okay, what can I improve upon? And anger is something that we are human. It comes up and nobody is going to be 100% perfect and incredibly amazing all the time. But this is an art that you can practice. Managing your emotional states. So in the event that your, your patience is a little bit low and you're starting to get a little frustrated with whatever may be occurring in your day, to really focus, change your posture, change your breathing. When you do that, you get much more control over your emotional state and you are no longer a slave to that emotion. You are now in control. In the event that there is a disagreement occurring, the best things to do are to watch your tone and to watch your rate of speech. Because what's happening is you're as you're getting all that drive to feel anger and all this emotional rise and you're having this great chemical hormonal balance that says anger, anger, Will Robinson. When you can override the system and you can say, okay, this is how I'd like to execute when I'm in front of people. And you can then go and be angry somewhere else if you want to be. But because they're watching us and we don't want to transfer that behavior to them, we don't want to show them that one. We want to show them this one. Those are great things to implement, to watch your breathing and your posture, watch your tone and your pace. Because when you do, you will have more control over how you're feeling about the event and you will also demonstrate emotional control. There are times where it's appropriate to, to be loud. If your child is running into the street and you are trying to startle them yeah. to stop them from running into the street, that is appropriate. When you're, when you're just kind of, you know, somebody made a loud noise in the other room because they were playing and your patience is low, is it appropriate? Is it warranted? So knowing which one is appropriate for the situation, allowing yourself to say, okay, well, what do I want to show my child? What, how do I want to behave when I talk to my spouse? What tone do I want my children to deliver when they're adults? What do I want them to see? And to approach it as an art. This isn't something that you might be brilliant at the next day but it's a practice that you can absolutely implement. Right. And as you're implementing it, they're going to model it. Let me ask you more about the breathing uh, portion of that, because mm -hmm. I would interpret that as this is, if something does happen that is trying my patience or mm -hmm. giving me this emotional reaction that I want to prevent, I'm taking this as, as soon as I feel that come up, I'm taking a inhale and and an exhale just to give my to give myself time to process what mm -hmm. I'm experiencing. That's how I would interpret that. Do you have mm -hmm. another uh, explanation of that, or is that what you mean by that? It completely. Even in that moment when you pause and you so you can feel your temperature rising, you can feel anger coming on. We we know it's coming before even though it's you're like, it came out of nowhere. Yeah. You feel those things coming on and you, you are going off of a pattern that you've experienced over your life. And your brain goes, oh, 
We want to get angry. Okay, run the anger pattern and it sends off a specific response in your body. So one that I actually like from Dr. Andrew Huberman is a double inhale. So you, you inhale and then you inhale once more. So you inhale deeply and then you inhale just once more and then let it out. As you're getting control of your breathing and your posture, and this is where it's really important, especially if you look up these TED Talks, um, power postures, power poses. But what's happening is your neurology cannot override your physiology. And what that means is your body, when you get control over your body, when you change your breathing, when you change your posture, your body will then have to, your neurology will then start to rewire because it's needing to gain control. So when you get control over the physiology, your neurology will get back on board. You just have to give it a little bit of time, especially because you're having, in, in let's say you're, you're in this case, we're going to, uh, you're going to be shrugged over and you're down at your desk and your head's down. You're quite literally having a different chemical hormonal response because you're in that posture. Hmm. When you shift your posture, when you shift your breathing, when you stand tall, when you stand in a victory pose, you have a completely different chemical hormonal response in your body, one that is serving you to your benefit. So wow. that's why when you, whether it's one big breath or an inhale and another inhale at the top of it, and then that exhale, you're gaining control over the system. That's the ultimate intention. However you do it and however you get there, great. As long as you got the outcome that you wanted, ultimately that's what you're doing. You're wanting to gain control when you feel like you're not in control. Hmm. That's fascinating how everything is so connected the way that it is where you can just, you know, adjust your posture and control your breathing a little bit more and you're creating this balance between everything that you are and all of these emotions that are trying to flood your person you can mm -hmm. get control of them again I, I think that's a that's a big thing and I think there's been a greater awareness of this in, probably in the last decade than there was previously or just wasn't something that was talked about as much mm -hmm. but an emphasis on on an individual's EQ and not just uh, emphasis on the IQ for when I first started out in school, it was, you know, we want to see what your IQ is. We want to see how intelligent you are, how much, you know, and it was never about your emotional quotient. It was never about how do you actually control yourself in these moments? What kind of stability do you have mentally? But that plays such a huge role in, in everything that we do, uh, especially with communication. And you, you, brought up having that that tone that that tone is um is pivotal and i i i play the uh i play the piano so i know a few tricks how to make people feel sad and how to make people feel happy and i know how to play around with tone and notes and yeah. and and make that happen so while we might not all have the gifting to do that with our voices um the the theory behind that is very much true um let, let me ask you this. Do you have any tips for people to um, to work individually on their tone? I know it's one thing to be frustrated and then to just let that out. But do you have tips on how an individual can maybe practice with the tone of their voice uh, to keep it at a more moderate level rather than having the sporadic reactive surges in their tone? Completely. And when a great place to practice is in the car. If you're on your way to work and you're, you're driving with your, your, you know, upright posture, if that's the only time that you can practice, that's a great thing. If you're walking around and notice how you're projecting and being aware of it, you can first simply by starting and standing in the mirror in the morning or in the evening, whatever you feel comfortable with and practice that control, whether you want to read a passage out loud, whether you want to read something from your phone, it might be your magazine article, and you're reading it in that ability of reading, also draw your attention to your tone. How clear are you? How soft are you? How loud are you? And just start to really get to know yourself. And I agree with you about, you know, over the last decade, we've started to see, we've started to see quite the shift. And, and social media is very helpful in that standpoint, drawing people's awareness to that. I think the culture, at least, so I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and everything was very compartmentalized. 
nutrition was separate than your body. Your body was separate than um, church and church was separate than school. Everything was separate. And now, at least to me, everything is really intertwined. If you want to live a better life, it's not just living a better life at work. It's live a better life in my community, in my home. What does that look like? And start to do that self-reflection of what do I want for myself? What do I want to share with my family? What do I want to give the gift of to my children? And to let it become a part of you and bring it into your life rather than looking at it as so external. And it may be, okay, maybe I need to, I on certain moments, I need to make sure that I tune in and I read something very specifically so that I can draw my own awareness and taking different approaches. Notice what you're listening to. Notice what you're reading. Notice where your attention is. And do you want that in your life? And if not, okay, what needs to move? Where do I need to start making those passes of information? It sounds to me like there's, if, if you want to improve your breathing, if you want to improve your posture, if you want to improve your tone, if you want to improve your communication, it sounds like the big key to that is just being purposeful in what you're doing, being mindful and intentional about it and continually practicing day after day. Completely. And make it a part of your life as, as a practice. You know, we brush our teeth every day and we don't consider it a practice, but it truly is a practice. Yeah. If we work out, it's a practice of taking care of our body. We call them habits, whether you want to call it a habit of doing X, Y, and Z or a habit of brushing your teeth, whatever label you want to give it, but to incorporate it into your life and bring it in and also to bring them in maybe one or two at a time, hmm. let it acclimate and figure out how else to bring in others at the right time. Yeah, I definitely think that our voices, our body language, all of these components that we have for communication, I think they are tools in our arsenal and we have an opportunity to become more familiar with them, to become um, masterful with them. And if we'll do those things, um, the big thing that I see from communication is relationship. And as you communicate, you build trust because you're having to be if you're really doing things right, in my opinion, you have to be transparent. You have to be vulnerable as you communicate and you deliver who you are to whoever it is that you're dealing with and speaking to. And then that typically has to be reciprocated. And as that happens, trust is formed and that trust acts as that foundation, that platform for relationship to begin. And communication just further nurtures that relationship. And as dads, I think that's really what we want with our kids. We want to have good relationships with them that go beyond the 18-year minimum that they have to be in our homes, but that carry on as they begin their families and so on and so forth. So I definitely I appreciate your, your insight and your input on communication. Is there anything else that you'd like to add to the conversation? Um, two, two small pieces of information. Okay. Two... Um... To help foster more communication and more trust with your children, one thing that I love to to encourage people to do, and, and I do this with my clients, is to write down three things that happened during the day, whether they were cool things or awesome things or whatever they want. Hey, and hey, I found this flower that was growing up through the crack. Dad, look how cool this is. Whatever they find that's really cool during the day and write it down at night together, even if you have a big calendar and you write down three things that were that were cool about the day or that were awesome or that stood out to them, what you're actually going to do is not only will they then go to sleep with very happy thoughts, they're going to start sorting four very cool, awesome things throughout their day. And that is giving them the gift of focused, positive attention. We can give our attention to anything and everything. When you're sorting for focused, positive attention, you will continue to build focused, positive attention, and that will continue to fire and wire. Or if you notice if something was difficult to celebrate that it was a challenge and that you found a solution or, wow, we're still looking for a solution. That's a really cool thing because then they start to see not having the answer is perfectly perfect and that they can continue to look for solutions. That's a great thing to let yes. them see you're vulnerable 
to let them see you don't know everything and to add that positive spin. You will quite literally fire and wire their brain to continue to do that for the rest of their life, especially at this young age. So that's a really, really great thing. Yeah, that's and awesome. And then if anybody has any has concerns or any um, questions that they would like to reach out to us about the delay or the development of their child, their language, their child's language development, please feel free to reach out to us at betterspeech.com. And we're on social media, so you're able to reach out to us, leave your questions. We will create content just for you. Awesome. Now, Lenora, is there any way for people to follow you specifically, or they just need to go to betterspeech.com to interact there? Betterspeech.com. That's where we are. And all, uh, YouTube and TikTok and, and Instagram and Facebook, awesome. all that good stuff. Awesome. Well, Lenora, I have really appreciated your expertise and insight on this today. Communication is just vital and we cannot survive and thrive without it. So I appreciate you taking time to share your knowledge on this topic. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. It was a pleasure to spend time with you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Lenora Edwards. She had a lot of incredible things to add to the conversation, things that will benefit your child, you and your relationship with your child, if they're having issues with their speech, but also things that are going to help you. And I'm glad that we ended on this note in the interview and in the conversation because you are the example to your kids. They look to you and they learn from you. And if you value communication, if you are still working on it as their father, as an adult, then your child will also value communication and continue to work on it for the rest of their life as they should and all of us should. If you want more information again, you can go to betterspeech.com, but let me just leave you with this one more time. Communication is how we establish trust. Trust is the foundation for relationship. You cannot have relationships if you don't have good communication. So focus on communication. Grow in your own ability to communicate and don't stop talking and listening to your kids. This is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift. Thank you so much for being with me, and I hope you'll join me next time. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to the channel. Also, don't be shy. Please connect with Fathering Our Future on social media and become a part of the community that values fathers, that aims to help men love being dads, and to help dads be better dads every day so that together we can better father our future.